Uh, we moved to Lafayette, Indiana in January of 2010, started City of God Church um, close to the Purdue campus in downtown. Um, and uh, many of you have supported us through your prayers. Many of you um, have also supported us financially. We've been seeing incredible things happen, just excited about what God's been doing. Um, this, since uh, December, just to give you an idea of some of what we've been seeing, um, since December we've had 14 people baptized, seeing lots of people come to faith. Um, we started with uh, Joel, who's leading worship up here, who is in my youth group, um, and another girl named Jackie Logan, who many of you know. Uh, we had lunch with them at Scotty's Brew House, said, This is what we're thinking about doing. And uh, we were off and running, um, and about a year and a half later, this past March, our last baptism service had 205 people worshiping with us. We've just been seeing incredible things happening, um, lots of opportunities for ministry, lots of opportunities for growth, um, and a lot of that's been because a lot of you have helped us out and supported us and been behind us in what we're trying to do, so I just wanted to take the opportunity to thank you for that. Uh, thank you for giving me the opportunity to be with you guys this morning. Uh, we're going to be in Exodus chapter 19, so if you've got a Bible, go ahead and turn there. Uh, we'll have it up on the screen as well. So we're going to be in um, Exodus 19 this morning, and why don't I pray before we get going? Um, we'll jump in. Father, thank you so much for today and the opportunity we have to come together. God, I just thank you for this church and the ministry that it's having, even beyond um, the four walls of this building, God, that there are people coming to know you, that there are people growing in their relationship with Christ because of the impact that this place has had. Father, I'm um, thankful for Prairie View, uh, just the ministry that you're doing in it. I just pray that you'd be in our time together now. Uh, help us have soft hearts as we come um, under your word to, to study what you might have to say for us this morning. Uh, Father, we love you and we just pray that your hand would be on this time now and we ask this all in your son's name. Amen. All right. Uh, before we get into Exodus chapter 19, just a, a couple things up front and maybe you're not like me, okay, but I tend to be somebody that can get distracted fairly easily, okay? Maybe this isn't you, uh, but for example, uh, most of the time growing up, Okay, it was a typical teenage guy's room, not very clean, not very put together. Occasionally, I'd have to try and clean it up. And so here was the issue that I always ran into. I'd come into this messy room, and, and one piece of the room I would work really hard on. So rather than cleaning the entire room for like four hours, I went at the entertainment center. Okay, I, I cleaned it, I dusted it, I organized everything. Two or three hours later, I should be feeling pretty good. I look around, there's one thing really clean, and the rest of the room's... Still kind of the way it was, and so parents weren't too happy with that. Even though I tried to work really hard, I just got distracted by this one thing. Okay, maybe that's you. There's another way a lot of us get distracted, and uh, most of you, and maybe this has happened to you, I'm just going to check Facebook for five minutes, right? Just hop on and see who said hello, and then before you know it, you're looking at high school friends' pictures and catching up with people and all that kind of stuff, and you had planned on getting some work done two or three hours later, you've played a lot of Farmville and done a whole lot of nothing else, and it's just, it just kind of the time gets away from you, right? It's easy to get distracted with things like that. What I want to talk to you about this morning is this idea that it's easy for the church to get distracted, okay? And this is something we talk a lot um, about a lot at City of God is this idea of what should the focus of the church be and what should, should be the things that we're concerned with and, and what I see happening a lot and what's so easy, uh, what can so easily happen in churches is that they can get distracted, that they see a good need, that they, they see things that need to get done and so they start to pursue those things. But it's easy to do good things and ultimately forget the main thing that we're to be about. And so what we have to do is constantly be coming back to what has God asked us to do? What's the message that He's put on our heart to send out to the world? And that's what we want to focus on this morning is what is the message that God has given us that's going to cause the church to stay on track, to stay on mission, to not lose its way, and to keep us going in the direction that God has called us to. So we're going to pick up in Exodus chapter 19. Uh, this past year at City of God, 
we spent eight months going through the book of Exodus, and so I just wanted to share with you uh, some of what we learned in that study together um, in our time at City of God. But in Exodus 19, let's pick up in verse 1. I'll read the whole passage, and then we'll come back through some of this. On the third new moon, after the people of Israel had gone out of the hand of Egypt, on that day they came into the wilderness of Sinai. They set out from Rephidim and came into the wilderness of Sinai. And they encamped in the wilderness. There Israel encamped before the mountain. While Moses went up to God, the Lord called out to him out of the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the people of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples from the earth, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. And so, uh, just if, if you're not familiar with the book of Exodus, I just want to back up a little bit and, and give you an idea of what's been happening here up to this point. At, at the opening of the book of Exodus, the people of God are in slavery. Israel's in slavery. They're enslaved in Egypt. And they begin to ask some questions that many uh, people today ask. They're asking the question... If we love God and we worship God, why are bad things happening in my life? Why isn't God delivering us from the situation that we're in? Okay, some of you may have asked that at some point. That they find themselves in slavery and they begin to wrestle with this idea, why are we in slavery if God loves us and we're His chosen people? And so in the beginning of Exodus, God sets this plan in motion that He's going to deliver the people and He's going to call them out of Egypt and He's going to bring them into their own land. And so in the opening chapters, God begins raising up this man named Moses. And he begins to speak to him and tell him, you're going to lead the people out and I'm going to empower you and I'm going to give you the words to speak and I'm going to give you uh, the task that you need to do for my people to come out of Egypt. And throughout the middle part of the book, God sends plagues on the land of Egypt. And he sends these plagues to let the Egyptian leaders know that he's going to bring his people out and that God is more powerful than them and that God is about to do something great in the land. And ultimately, God leads the people out of Egypt and they come to this moment where they're standing before the Red Sea, and in front of them is the sea, and behind them is the Egyptian army. And again, the people cry out because the sea's here and the army's coming, and they don't know how God's going to deliver them again. And so they call out to God, and God splits the Red Sea, and He lets His people walk through. And when the army comes into the sea, He closes the sea again, and He delivers the people from this army that's pursuing them. And so the people are now in freedom. They're out of Egypt, they're past the sea, they're on their own, and they're being led by God in the wilderness. And after God had saved them from their slavery, saved them from the people who were trying to kill them, He comes to them and He gives them these words in Exodus 19. If you'll obey my voice and if you'll obey my covenant, because I've saved you, you'll be my people and you'll be priests and you'll be a holy nation and you'll be all of these different things. And so God speaks to the people after He had come to them and after He saved them. Now what happened is later in the Bible, after the time of Jesus, people began to look back at this Exodus story and say, you know... That story looks a lot like what Jesus has done for us, that that the people were saved from their slavery and that that God saves us from sin and that that God had to move to to make the people His own and that God has moved to make us His own. And so they start to see all of these different connections and that's the connections that we want to draw out this morning is how is this story in Exodus, the people being released from slavery and God calling this group of people His own, 
How, what is that like for us today? And what we're really going to talk about this morning and spend most of our time on is this idea of what is the gospel and what has God saved us from? Because the people standing on the other side of the Red Sea could clearly say God saved us from slavery. God saved us from the army. God parted the sea. There's all of these things that God has done. They saw how God moved. And what we have today in the church is the gospel where we should be able to say this is what God has saved me from and this is how God has moved and this is how God has changed my life. But what we have happened in a lot of churches is that there's this temptation that God has moved and He saved us and we understand what God has done for us in the gospel, but a couple of things and temptations begin to creep in. For some Christians, there's this temptation to want to move on to more mature things. That yes, I understand the gospel. Yes, I get what God has done for me. But now I really want to know about spiritual gifts or end time stuff or, or more about the Bible and all these different things and what we want to talk about and what we harp on at City of God is this idea that for a church uh, to grow and see lives change, that for a Christian life to change and you to grow grow from not knowing Jesus to walking closely with Him, all of that is based on loving and living in light of what God has done for us in the gospel, that we can never leave it, and it has to always be on our mind, always be with us. And so that's one temptation. A lot of Christians want to move on to more mature things. They've heard the gospel, they know it, and that's what we're going to talk about this morning, that you can never leave the gospel. Okay, secondly, some people are tempted to leave the gospel because... We, we either don't know or we don't believe what God has saved us from or what God has done for us. Okay, so you have this idea that we know that God has done something for us. We're in a church. We're worshiping Jesus for something. But maybe there's not this clear idea. Well, what has he done? What has he saved me from? How is my life different because of what Jesus has done? And there's also this temptation in some churches that we so desperately want people from the outside to come in. That we begin to talk about things that we feel like will really connect with them. Here's how to be a better parent. Here's how to manage your money. Here's how to raise your kids, which are all good things. But here's the problem. People outside of the church look inside the church. And if all we're giving them is the same advice they could get uh, from a bookstore or a television show or all of these different things, they have no reason to come in and hear about what Jesus has done. Because if Jesus is just here to fix your bank account and fix your family and fix your kids and all of the stuff we want Him to fix... That can be fixed a lot of different ways. What is the unique message God has given the church and God has given the Christians to go and to talk about what has He done for us? And that's what we're going to spend all of our time on this morning. Okay? Uh, within that, a, a lot of Christians feel these struggles today, and they're honest and real struggles, but they ask questions like, I really wish I was a better worshiper. I really wish when I came in and the songs were going... I was just better at doing that. Some people seem so natural, natural worshiping and raising their hands and they seem so into it and they're so connected to God. I wish I could do that. Some people ask questions like, I wish I could tell somebody about Jesus. And I just wish I could go to someone, a close friend, a family member, and have the conversation and talk to them about what Jesus has done for me. Uh, they have the question, I just wish I could go deeper. I feel like I've been so stagnant in my relationship with God. How do I go deeper? How do I move forward? And all of those questions for me flow out of this idea that if we stood on the gospel and just loved it and believed it and stayed in it and just kept its message on our minds and in our hearts constantly, that a lot of those questions would begin to get answered anyway. Okay, Because in very few areas of life, okay, I'm at Purdue University. For those of you that know me, I'm a small Kentucky basketball fan. Okay, some of you understand that. It's actually, I've toned down a lot. Okay, I'm mature now. Uh, but, I haven't. Uh, but there's this idea 
when we go watch a basketball game, okay, and we, we have this opportunity, and I'll talk about this a little later, uh, we've, we've had a few basketball players come into church, um, and at the Purdue-Michigan State game this past year, he said, you want to sit third row by the court? And I was like, sure, okay, that's awesome. Um, and so he hooked me up with that. Just watching that, no one had to explain, no one came out front and said, okay, when the team comes out, here's how you should respond. When they do well, here's what you should do. When, it's just, they love the team, and they want to cheer for it, and they want to do all these things. It just naturally comes out of them. We get that, okay? When we want to praise something or cheer something or love something, it just naturally flows out of us. When we're passionate about something, no one has to give us a six-step plan for, well, here's how you talk about the thing that you're passionate about. And what we're getting at is this idea uh, that most of these concerns that Christians have are rooted in we leave the gospel too quickly and that we would understand how to worship and how to talk to people about Jesus and how to grow in our faith, not by going on to more mature things, not by finding the right book or finding the right speaker, but by constantly, daily reminding ourselves of the gospel. Uh, people are starting to figure out, City of God, I basically have one sermon I do 52 different ways. Okay, and it's not that, it's not that bad, but there's one drum we beat and it's what the gospel is and that's the drum I want to beat with you this morning um, and see how we can grow in that together. Okay, uh, Like I said, some of you might be familiar with the story. Hang in with me because I think it's going to be way more applicable uh, than you think it is. Especially if you're thinking, I know this story, I've heard it, I know what Jesus has done for me. Hang tight with me and I think it's going to be very important for us this morning. So the first thing that we learn in this passage in Exodus 19 as we start to unpack this is that God has saved us because he tells the, the Israelites in verse 4, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. And what God is teaching them in the midst of this is, you didn't save yourselves from the Egyptians. You didn't bring yourselves out of slavery. You saw what I did. You saw how I rescued you. And he's reminding the people, this is what I have done for you. And if we back up in the Bible... All the way back to the beginning, Genesis 1 and 2 just sets up the main problem of the Bible for us because God creates the world, He creates it good, things are perfect, people are in perfect relationship with one another, and then in Genesis chapter 3, what happens? Sin enters the world, okay? That people decide to rebel against God, and this is the problem that all of us face today, myself included, and everyone else in the world, is that there's this natural tendency in our heart to set our own selves up as God, and to want to be Lord of our own lives, and set our own course, and not listen uh, to God, or not, not try to come back to God the way that He's called us to come back. And so the problem that Genesis sets up, that the rest of the Bible tries to unpack is this, is that people have separated themselves from God, they've turned from God, they've rebelled against God, so how's God going to get back in relationship with people? That's the, that's the question the Bible wants to answer. How's God going to get back in relationship with people who have rebelled against Him? Uh, in 2007, we were here, um, and, and Jesse, my wife, had this incident where she started having some pain in her stomach, okay? At first we just thought it was heartburn, no big deal. And so we went to the urgent care place. I won't tell you where because it's actually in town this time, so I can't tell it the same way. But there's an urgent care place we went to, and so Jesse goes, and the doctor checks her out. We were there about a half an hour. Now, at this point, I've driven her uh, to the urgent care place. She's almost in tears. She's doubled over. And, of course, I'm thinking, uh, husbands, they know we do this like, come on, just suck it up, okay? It's not that bad. And so, but she is like in my, in the car, on the floor, she's just hurting, okay? And so we go in and he says, I think it's just heartburn. Here's some Zantac or whatever. And he gives it to her and we're, we're leaving the urgent care place. And she's like, I know the guy's wrong. I know something's wrong. We're waiting in line for her prescription to be filled. She's crying. So I called Carl Pafford, which we did a lot when we were here, which none of you ever do, right? But I called Carl and I said, 
Hey, Carl, I don't know what's wrong with Jesse. He said, come over. So, so, we, don't go to the, so we leave the urgent care place, and we go to Carl, and he just kind of sets up a makeshift checkout spot in his living room, right? And so he lays Jesse out on the floor, and I'm there. He, like, drops her leg and touches her head with his finger, and he's like, appendicitis. I know it. I was like, okay, I, I don't know how he does that, but he's like, that's what it is. And so we were like, are you sure? He's like, yeah, I'll make the call, go to the hospital. And so he gets it taken care of, and, and honestly, I was just so thankful we had a doctor who was able to diagnose the problem that we had. Now, honestly, I wish the first guy had been right. I wish it was just heartburn, and we wouldn't have to do the surgery and time at the hospital and the bills that go along with it. I wish it would have been the first problem, but Carl diagnosed the actual problem and what was really wrong with her, and she was able to be cared for. And here's what we run into today is that a lot of people have an issue with the diagnosis that the Bible gives us. Okay, and so we want a second opinion a lot of times. But the Bible comes into our lives and it says we're not perfect, we're not good, we've rebelled from God, we're separated from Him. And we try and cover that over with a lot of different language today uh, that, that, that we don't want to hear what's really wrong with us. And what we see in Genesis 1, 2, and 3 and the rest of the Bible is that the Bible wants to diagnose what's really wrong with us, but often we don't want to hear it because we have a much higher view of ourselves than the Bible does. Okay, and so we've got to let the Bible diagnose the problem because if we don't know what's wrong with us, we can't have the cure that we need. And so the Bible sets this up in the first few chapters of Genesis that we are separated from God, that we cannot make ourselves right with God because of all of the sin and all of the rebellion that's in our life. And, and it's not just a certain group of people dealing with that. It's all of us. It's humanity that has separated itself from God. And now that we know that, and if we'll own that, that we have done something uh, to pull ourselves away from Jesus, we can get the diagnosis that we need and we can uh, get fixed in the way that we need. Part of the reason we don't see the problem, though, is this, and I, and I believe this. Part of the reason that we don't see the problem that's in our lives is we really don't understand how offensive our sin is to God. Okay? We really don't get how separated we are from God because of the sin in our life. Okay? And I just, I just want to ask, when was the last time... Uh, that you weren't just upset that, that you wronged somebody, you weren't upset that you got caught, but when you knowingly or unknowingly disobeyed God, you weren't just upset that, that people around you saw, but you were upset because you know there's a holy God that you've sinned against. Okay, very rarely in my life does that just naturally happen if I'm not in Scripture. But when was the last time that that something wrong happened and you were broken, not because of uh, the consequences in your own life, but because you realize that there's this holy God who created me, who's good, who loves me, and I'm rebelling against Him, and I'm running from Him, and, and I'm trying to be Lord of my own life and not letting Him be Lord. When was the last time you just stood before God and, and were silent before Him because you saw how awesome He was? One of the things I'm fearful of, and one of the things we try and get over at City of God, is this idea that I think for many people, God's become much too tame, and it's become much too easy to get close to God. And it's honestly like, and, and some of you here have heard me explain it like this, it's a junior high relationship God, right? God, can I be a Christian? Check yes or no. Something like that, okay? Not, no one does that. You text it now, right? But something, when I was growing up, you wrote the letter, which... I like, I've got college students, a lot of them at my church. I like that I can do that. I'm the old guy at the church jokes, which I am, which is just weird if you know me. But there's this, um, so, there's this way we have uh, toned God down. And one of the cool things, when I got to go to this basketball game, we didn't realize it. So we're at the Purdue-Michigan State game, sitting third row, and about three rows in front of us. And because the seats are like on top of each other, um, I could have done this to Dick Vitale's head. Like he was literally this close to me. And so, of course, we were the, the dumb people on the TV, always on the phone, like, turn on ESPN, turn it on, ah, that kind of thing. Okay? And I was like, I'll never be that guy if that's me. But it was, okay? And it was just, 
there was something about just having him there. And, and all these guys that I've seen on TV are there. And it was just this really cool experience. And it was just this thing where Jesse was like, go say hi. I don't want to say hi. You say, you say yeah. That dumb kind of thing, right? And, and just thinking about that, about how easy that would have been to go and introduce myself to him. That there's just this reality that, that when I think about God, very rarely am I nervous to go to God. Very rarely am I... Uh, do I question, can I come to him? Will he accept me? Can, can I go to him? Those kinds of things. Very rarely do I see God for the presence that he should be as the one who created the universe. Very rarely am I nervous as I come to God. And what we see in Exodus is that Exodus gives us this picture of this big God that you don't just come to lightly, that he is to be worshipped, that he is Lord, because Moses is going to come to the people in a chapter and say, hey, God wants to talk to you. And they tell Moses, you talk to him because if we talk to him, we're going to die. Okay, he wasn't someone to just lightly go to. They say, Moses, you talk to him for us because if we're in the presence of God, he will kill us. And they understood that, that he's just not someone you go to easily. And Exodus shows us this big picture of this God. And so what we've got to understand is we're trying to, to, to go deeper into how does the gospel impact my life? Do you see the problem with your own life? Do I see the problem with my life? Not just that I mess up occasionally, but that I've sinned against God and that I'm separated from God. And that in God's sight, literally, because He's given me uh, these things to do and I don't obey Him, it's like I'm a criminal in His sight. Okay, and, and there's good news coming. Hang with me, okay? But, but it's like I'm a criminal in His sight, and so I understand the problems much more severe than I think. And, and part of the reason we struggle with this concept of being separated from God is because of this. And, and, and we're going to go here for just a minute, okay? Part of the reason that we struggle with this is as much as we might not like to think about it, uh, this is where the concept of hell comes into play. And I know it's not a popular thing, and I know it's not something that people like to talk about, but here's what the Bible says. We, we rebelled against God. We're separated from God. Just put myself in the position. I rebel against God. I'm separated from God. What do I deserve from God? Well, the Bible lays out that if God does not move in my life, I deserve hell and I deserve separation from Him. And that's the situation that I find myself in. I'll just talk to me here for a second. You can listen in. But that's what I deserve in this moment, right? As I understand... What I have done to a holy God as I understand what I deserve from God And so what should we do? We've got to realize that there's a gap between us and God That if we lived a perfect life that we could stand before God and be in relationship with him But none of us live a perfect life and so we're separated from him And so what can we possibly do? And so people have lots of ideas about how to close that gap How to get back in relationship with God How to make sure that God likes me and I'm in his good favor How do we know that? For a lot of people They believe that they'll be right with God because of the good life that they live And I'm going to be honest In this room there's probably a lot of good people Actually I know most of you, you're pretty good, right? Uh, I know a lot of you, there's a lot of good people in the room that most of you, you do, a good, you do good work at your job, you're faithful to your spouse, you pay your bills, you raise your kids, you do all of these things. And when most people would look at your life, they'd say, generally, that's a good life. But we understand the situation that we're in spiritually, and here's how we misunderstand it. One, we believe we're basically good. When as you read through the Bible, I don't know if you've ever read through the Bible and, and like let it talk to you about where you are spiritually and where you are with God, but very rarely does the Bible give you this glowing pep talk of, you know what, by yourself, you're awesome. You're a good guy. You're a good person. Look in the mirror and feel great about where you are. If you're reading the Bible right, okay, I know that apart from Jesus, I'm reading it and I'm thinking, I'm not doing a very good job. Like, I'm generally happier the less I read the Bible, which I know sounds kind of weird, but the more I read it, I'm like, ah, 
I feel a lot better about myself when I'm not letting God speak into to what my life should look like. But the Bible sets up this issue that it's not that people are basically good and they just need a little help on the way. It's that people are basically uh, bad and separated from God. And God really has to do something in their life to make them right with Him. And we fail to realize all of this because uh, the sin that's in us and we're far from God, one of the things we have to understand is that we can never close the gap on our own. And for a lot of people, here's what happens. When do you feel like your relationship with God is right? And I struggle with this too. When do I feel like, as I'm just thinking throughout the day, am I good with God? And here's where I have the temptation to go. I'm good with God because I've been to church a lot. And now they pay me to be there, so I kind of have to be. But I've still been there a lot, right? Uh, whether I've been in church a lot. Have I been reading my Bible daily? You know what? I'm on a six-day streak. I'm doing pretty good. And so I feel good about my relationship with God. You know what? I, I helped out somebody recently. And so I went to their house. I, I moved a couple at church yesterday. I'm serving. I'm being like Jesus. Me and God are good right now. God is proud of me. And there's all of these things that we put into our lives and say, if I'm doing this, then me and God must be okay. If I'm doing this, then, then God is happy with me and God loves me. Loves me, And if I'm not, almost like there's this imaginary heaven and hell line, right? I didn't read my Bible today, hell. I did tomorrow, though, good again. Okay, and I don't know if you've ever been on that spiritual roller coaster, but you live that, right? You feel like that's constantly happening, and here's how we get it backward. Let's go back to Exodus 19 and look at verse 5, because God says this, Now therefore, now therefore, if you will obey my voice and keep my co- covenant... You shall be my treasured possession among all peoples. What's the most important two words in that verse? It's now, therefore. But we don't pay a lot of attention to those words. Why are those the most important words? Because here's what God is saying. It's not, you be a good person, so I love you. It's, I've saved you, and I've loved you already, so now life should look different. It's not, you be a good person, so you're right with me. It's, you're already right with me, so now life should begin to change. So now things should begin to happen differently. And it's so easy to get this twisted and backward. But God wasn't saying, I want you to be this. He was saying, we're already okay because I've saved you. And because of that, now life should look different. But it's so easy for us to get that twisted. And so easy for us to believe it's the other way around. So God tells people how life will work best. But what we do is we take it and we turn it from what it should be is I'm thankful that God has saved me and God is changing me and now life looks different to I'm going to make God proud and make God happy so I'm going to live differently so that I'm okay with God. You see how we get that confused and mixed up in our own mind and so God is changing that. And here's the reality of the rules in the Bible. Let me just set this up for you because you read the Bible, there's a lot of rules. I know there's a lot of rules. Some of you have tried to read through the Bible in the year you get to Leviticus, right? And then you stop because it's... Rule after rule after rule that doesn't really seem to apply to you much. And here's the point is that Paul, who, who was a, a New Testament author, planted churches, uh, this great leader in the early church, as he looks back at the Old Testament law, he says, you know what the law should have done for people and here's what it does for me? kind of makes me realize how much I'm not living up to God's standard. kind of makes me realize I can't do this. And so what Paul says about the law is it's like this thing that's over me that it just weighs me down because I see how God wants me to live and I see how perfect He wants me to be and I can't do it. I can't live up to it. And if Paul couldn't live up to it, I probably can't. I'm just going to throw that out there that as much as I want to please God and as much as I want to serve Him, if Paul couldn't do it, what hope do any of us have? And laws or rules allow us to feel good about change even when it hasn't happened. And here's a lot of the change that people try and work in their own lives. We want to love God. We want to serve God. So we change rules. We set schedules. We're going to discipline ourselves. And that lasts for a week or two weeks. When I was a a youth minister, here's what would happen. We'd go to a conference. And it was awesome. And we'd sing and we'd worship. And we were all close together. And we played dumb games. And just all of this stuff that you want to do. 
Okay, and people come home and they're fired up and we are going to change the world now. And then a week later, it's like nothing ever happened, right? And and you just kind of stay on that cycle because here's what's happening is we are trying to change ourselves. And what God is telling us in Exodus is, I'm going to change you. And as I change you, life's going to look differently. It's not about getting your act together. It's about getting closer to God. And as you get closer to God, naturally your life will begin to look different. That's what he's setting up for us here. God's not first in our lives because of the good things we do. God's first in our lives in spite of the things that we do. And God loves us in spite of the things that we do. Okay, and so we want to ask this question, how does God solve the problem then? If God says, I'm going to save you, I'm going to do something, I'm going to bring you back to me, how does God solve the problem? Because you've got to get this, we can't solve the problem on our own. As much as you may think church is about getting your act together and figuring out life, it's not because the Bible's clear, we can never get our act together enough to be right with God. So Jesus comes to the earth, God sends Jesus, and he sends him as 100% God, 100% man, and he comes to earth, and what does he do? He lives a perfect, obedient life. And just think about that. Jesus lives 33 years as a single guy, never lusts, never lies, never does any of these things that all of us struggle with, lives this perfect, obedient life, and then Jesus goes to the cross and he dies on the cross in our place, and we'll talk about that, and three days later he raises from the dead, and maybe you're left scratching your head thinking, well, how does that fix the problem? That's great he lived a perfect life. That's great he rose from the dead. I'm separated from God. How does that fix the problem of me being separated from God? And so what happens is we, we understand that in our relationship with God, we're separated from Him. And so what does Jesus do? Jesus lives this sinless life so that what? So that when we love Jesus and we trust in Him, you don't have to live a sinless life. Jesus gives you His. Okay, we need to be perfect before God. I can't be perfect. What am I going to do? Jesus takes this perfect life that he lived and he gives it to you. And so now when you love Jesus and God looks at you, there's not the sin, there's not the separation. It's this life that Jesus lived and he gives it, he credits it to your account. This perfect life that he lived. How did Jesus solve the problem? Jesus goes to the cross and as he's on the cross, what is happening? Jesus is being punished. Punished by who? Punished by God the Father. Why would God the Father be punishing Jesus? Because as Jesus is on the cross and he's being punished by God the Father, he's taking the punishment that I deserved. He's taking the punishment that you deserved so that when God looks at our lives and he sees the, place, the, the ways that we mess up and he sees where we fall short of how he wants us to live, he says, I already punished that. I already took care of it. I don't have to punish it again because Jesus died for it. Jesus took the punishment. Three days later, Jesus raises from the dead. What hope does that give us? How does that solve the problem? One, it gives us hope. We're going to raise from the dead too someday. It's like this. One of the reasons I hate going to movies, and it's not a moral thing. It's just it's two hours sitting there by myself. It's not very fun for me. I like the, the previews though. Okay, That's like if I could just go to the movie, get my popcorn, get my Coke, sit there for five minutes of previews and leave, good day. I'd be fine with that. And that's what Jesus' resurrection was. It was this sneak preview, 30 seconds of, this is going to be awesome someday. This is what it's going to look like. This is this thing that God has coming for you. And because Jesus rose from the grave, we looked at that. That could be me someday if I love Jesus. Living forever, being with God, being in relationship with Him. Martin Luther called what Jesus did the great exchange. Okay, and he talks about it in this way. So Jesus lives this perfect life, and he gives us that perfect life. And if we love Jesus, God looks at us as if we've lived a perfect life. And Jesus takes our punishment. And so if we love Jesus, God looks at us, and the sin and the rebellion against him has already been punished, and we can be made right with him because of that. The penalty of sin's been paid. The power of sin's been broken. We can live a new life. And the question we, we, we ask as we read through Exodus and look through the Bible is, well, what role do I play in it? You don't play any role in it. 
you, you love Jesus and you accept it. But I've got to do something. We're just people that have to do something, right? I've got to do, I've got to, I've got to be good, I've got to try hard, I've got to do. And the Bible's saying, just, just love Jesus. He's done it. It's done. Okay, it's, we would all love to have a task that's already been done for us. Yesterday, when I'm moving those people's house, I realized how many volunteers they had. I called six or seven more because I'm a fan of doing less work if I have to. Most of you know that, right? The Bible's saying you don't have to do any work. You don't have to do anything for this because Jesus has already done it if you love Him. And Jesus' sinless life and His death on the cross makes us right with God. Now, it's easy to think that, right? It's easy to say, all right, Jesus died for me. I did it. I should... I should be all right with that. I don't have to try harder. Let me make it practical, and I'm going to give you two days in the life of Eric Roseberry. Okay? Two days in the life of Eric Roseberry. Here's how the gospel plays out in everyday life. Day one. Okay? Day one. I wake up. 5 a.m. I've gotten eight hours of sleep, which has never happened ever. Um, but I wake up. 5 a.m., things are good. We get the kids up. We go down. We have breakfast. I do the family devotion. We pray before the meal. I send the kids off. They're going to go evangelize to their friends at school. They're they're not even old enough for school. But when they are, they're just storing up these three years of training. And so they're ready to go. Okay, and I leave. And it's the day we have staff meeting. And so Joel's there. And Sunday was awesome. And people got saved. And we're high-fiving. And Joel's complimenting me on the sermon and how great things went. And so we're really good in that moment. And so we're, we're having this meeting. And things are going good. And I'm so happy. I take Joel. And whoever else, let's go to lunch. I'll take you to lunch and I'll buy you lunch under a certain price. But I'll take you to lunch and I'll buy you lunch. And so we go out and the waitress over here is just talking about church things. She says, are you, are you the pastor at City of God? I say, I'm the pastor at City of God. Now usually this joke makes sense because normally what I wear on a Sunday morning is jeans and a plaid shirt. Just kind of, it's college kids, right? I know what Prairie View's like. I know, I know what they want. Um, so... So normally this joke is funny. It's not right now. But she says, you're the pastor of City of God, right? And she said, you don't look like a pastor. And normally I would say, I know I don't look like a normal pastor, right? And so she, she likes that. And so she goes and, and we talk a little bit more. And she gets her boss back. And, and he said, you're the pastor of City of God. And they say, we really want to come check out your church. We've heard so many good things. The people who come in here from City of God tip so well. You're doing so much for the city. Things are so awesome. And so they desperately want to come Sunday morning. And so they do. And I go back to my office. And God is just putting the sermon into my head in about two hours, and it's just flowing on paper, the most beautiful, wonderful sermon that has ever been written. And I go home, and things are done, and I'm done early, and I walk in the door, and the kids see me, and they say, Father! And they run to me, and I pick them both up, and we dance around, and dinner is ready, and there's steak on the table, and Jessie is... She's all put together and she, she feels good. She's normally always all put together. That wasn't a, a shot, but things are good, right? Um, you, you catch the look every once in a while. It's like, um, but things are awesome and we put the kids down and I tell them stories and, and, the, and they kiss me and they go to bed and Jesse and I watch a movie and we enjoy being married and whatever you want to throw in that category. And it's just a good day, right? It's just a great day and I put my head on the pillow and I read my Bible and I pray and I go to sleep. I wake up day two, and this is more typically how days go, right? I wake up day two, slept through the alarm, so I'm a few hours late. I don't have time to read my Bible or pray, so I run out the door. I, I, I grab something like a popsicle to eat for breakfast, and I'm just out the door, and I'm running, and I get in the car, and we got to have staff meeting, and Joel just butchered worship yesterday, right? 
it's just a bad sentence. That's never happened, ever. But if it did, it's just awful. And I have to go in and talk with them about everything that happened. And people are upset and I'm getting emails I don't want to read because you know, last month we preached four weeks through Song of Solomon. And we did, I'll just tell you this, we did four weeks through Song of Solomon. And as I'm preaching, students could text in live question and answer that I answered at the end of the service. Which was an experience in itself, right? And there was just some, some questions I got that I didn't want to have to deal with. And people were upset about some of the things that I said. And I go out to lunch and my food's cold and I'm thinking very unchristian things about the server. And I don't want to tip. And my wife's always like, you have to tip regardless because she's a server. Five 5%, 2% something because I'm not happy about the food. And the sermon's not coming together and no work's getting done. And I come home and Luke has got Jordan picked up in kind of an ultimate warrior, military style press. And Jesse's screaming at him. And, and dinner's not ready. And she said, just make yourself a sandwich. And we're trying to separate the kids. And it's 9 or 10 o'clock. They're out of their rooms running around upstairs and I'm trying to clothesline somebody just to get somebody to lay down. You, your kids probably never do this, right? But we're just trying to get them to bed so bad and we put them to bed and Jesse and I are so tired that she just goes to bed and I stay up and I watch TV for a couple of hours. I haven't read my Bible. I haven't prayed. I've struggled all day. My head hits the pillow and here's where the gospel practically speaks into both of these days. And some of you need to hear this this morning. The gospel means that, that, that God does not love me anymore because of day one. He doesn't love me any less because of day two. And some of you struggle so much with it, you would get to the end of day two and think, me and God are not okay. And if you think that, it's because you don't understand the gospel yet. That in spite of the things that we do, in spite of the lives that we live, in spite of the struggles that we have, God and us are okay. Why? Not because of my life day one and day two, but because of what Jesus has done. Because of his death, his resurrection, his life. And so I hit the pillow day one and I'm feeling really proud of myself and the things I've accomplished. And God looks into that situation and says, uh, don't be too proud about the good life that you're living. You're right with me because of what Jesus has done. And at the end of day two, he looks at me and says, don't feel too down uh, about the, the times you've struggled and stumbled this morning because me and you are all right because of what Jesus has done. And the gospel frees us. And the gospel frees us to live the life that God has called us to live. And we don't have to have the guilt anymore, the shame anymore. There's a place in Romans chapter 8 verse 1 where Paul says this to the church. There's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There's no more guilt. There's no more standing before God and being worried. Are me and him okay? Am I going to be alright? If I died right now with things between me and God be okay? And we used to have these dumb debates in Bible college. What if you're a Christian and right before a bus hits you, you cuss? Will you be okay? And we would have hour-long debates. I don't know if he would be okay. I'm going to be honest. If I'm about to get hit by a bus, I don't know what's going to come out of my mouth. And so we really had to get this, what are we going to do in that moment? But here's what the gospel says. It is, do you love Jesus? Are you right with him? Then regardless of how messed up and how messy your life is, yes, we want to look more like him. You're right with God and you've got to free yourself from this feeling of, I have to make myself right with God because that's not the gospel. And I'll tell you this, if you start to understand that and live that and know that and that regardless of how the day is going those practical things that you're worried about how to worship i don't have to ask myself how to worship much anymore because if i'm daily telling myself the gospel that jesus has saved me in spite of me and i'm right with him in spite of me i can worship jesus all day all the time for that and if I can remember that, and for marriages that are broken, if I'm remembering that Jesus forgives me and loves me in times, in spite of the times that I screw up, that I can look at my wife or she can look at me, which is normally the way it goes, and in spite of the times where I screw up, she can forgive me and love me. Why? Because Jesus has done the same thing for her. 
That there's all of these different instances where we want to leave the gospel when the gospel is the most practical thing that the church has to heal relationships, to heal marriages, uh, to get finances in order, uh, to, to get people living the life that God has called them to live. That all starts with, do I get what Jesus has done for me? All of that would change if we would stay there and quit thinking we can move on to something else. And so the band's going to come up and play in a few minutes. And I just want to finish with this question. If as a church and Christians we really believed the gospel, what would change? And there's a couple of things that I think would change. We would never feel the need to move on to more mature things. Yes, we want to grow. Yes, we want to understand the Bible better. Yes, we want to know all these new and different things. But here's the reality. The more I think about and the more time I spend on how Jesus has saved me and loved me in spite of myself, you can just keep going deeper and deeper and deeper into that, and everything else around you is going to change because of that. Don't leave the gospel for some of you. Okay, and this, this is why a lot of people have issues with the church, and I think it's because we've forgotten the gospel. The people outside the church often feel like those inside the church look down on them. And you can be a part of us when you get life figured out, when you start talking different, when you start acting different. And what the gospel does is it frees the church to have a posture of, God saved us in spite of us, why don't you come on wherever you're at? Okay, that's the culture we've tried to set at the city of God, that, that we're just messed up people that God has saved why don't you come check it out and see if you want to be a messed up person with it. You're going to be messed up anyway. Might as well do it in a group, right? So we take that posture of we understand that God has done something for us. So we don't look down on people. It's Jesus has done this for us. We just want to tell you about what he could do for you. Uh, we would quit beating ourselves up over guilt. Now, there's a difference between guilt and conviction. Holy Spirit's going to convict you of some things that life needs to look different and things need to change. But guilt is God could not love me because of this. God could not love me because of what's in my past. I met with a girl that was really struggling with some things she had done in her past. We were having coffee. And she just could not get past this idea of God cannot love me because of this. And I know what he wants. And this is here. And you've got to get the gospel to free yourself from that guilt that some of you are feeling. Some of you might be in a spot right now where you're thinking, I'd love to be in a relationship with Jesus. And I'd love to have that. But you don't know what I'm doing right now. And I'm saying what the gospel says is you come to Jesus wherever you're at and things are going to change. You don't get your act together and then come to Jesus because that will never happen. And if you feel like it has, it's not. Okay, and so we've got to get to the spot where we're freeing ourselves from that guilt. I already mentioned this, but real change would happen. Real change in marriages. Real change in how uh, you discipline your kids. Real change in how you are at your job. Because when you are someone that's been forgiven and given grace that you don't deserve, you begin to give that to other people. And, and they begin to ask, why, why do you treat people like this? Why are you this way with other people? Why are you this way with people that may not agree with you or may think differently than you do? And it's such an easy conversation, too, because God has treated me so much better than I deserve. And the gospel begins to change things. And finally this, if we got the gospel, it would lead us on mission. We would worship so much more easily because we remember what Jesus has done for us. We would go and tell others. We would be passionate about the gospel like all those other things that we're passionate about because practically every day we're telling ourselves, God saved me and loved me in spite of me and we can never thank him enough for what he's done for us. And because the greatest thing in the world had been done for us, we would have to get that message out to other people. And we tell a city of God this, that as soon as you became a Christian, you became a missionary. And that doesn't mean you go overseas and start dressing weird and doing weird things that missionaries seem to do. Right? They're a little off. Okay, it's okay. Um, but, that's why I wasn't leaving America. Um, but, okay, 
But what God, the final thing he told his people in Exodus in verse 6 was this, and you'll be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And in the New Testament, Peter picks that up and he says, and now that's the church. And that they are now a kingdom of priests. And what do priests do? They go between people and God and take the message of God to people. And so we tell everyone at City of God this, and I'll tell you today, if you're a Christian, you're a missionary, and God has put you in a neighborhood, in a workplace, in a family, with people that need to hear about Jesus. And if you love him and he has done something for you, you will take that message to other people because it has done so much in your own life. I'm going to pray and we're going to worship and thank God for what he's done. Father, thank you so much for this morning. God, thank you so much for our time together. I just pray that in this moment there might be someone thinking and saying, I hope it's true, I wish it was true, I know I need to be made right with you, and God, just free them to know they can be. Regardless of where they're at, regardless of what they're struggling with, they can be right with you this morning just by coming to you and committing to love you and follow you and trust you and serve you. Father, open that up for some people this morning. Father, we just pray that you would be doing a work right now in this group of people, that you would be planting the gospel in their heart and that lives would change because of the good things that you've done. Father, we love you and we ask this all in your son's name. Amen.